And we're going to read our Bibles now, uh, right near the start of what we were singing about there. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, as we hear uh, how this began to come about. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. That's on page... 965, if you've got a church Bible. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to, her, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is what's known this morning as a, a preacher's gift, in that the clock at the back there has stopped working. <laughs> Uh, as Nathan's already mentioned, we're uh, coming uh, to Christmas time, and uh, all sorts of things go on around Christmas time. And uh, the reading this morning includes reference to Joseph, uh, someone we don't actually talk about an awful lot. And whenever um, we do mention him, my mind goes to one of those Christmas uh, happenings. Uh, which I think still goes on in some schools, namely the infant school nativity play. Um, there was a, a school that we were involved with, our, our children had gone to as a primary school, and I was a governor there, and my mind goes back to one particular uh, nativity play um, where uh, it was memorable for a couple of reasons. One of them centred the, uh, around the character of Joseph. Um, in this school, you know, the, the, the practice in these plays is to try and get every single child involved somehow or other. There was one particular boy uh, whose name shall not be mentioned. Um, I'll, I'll just refer to him as Joseph because he was given the part of Joseph to play uh, against everybody's sort of thing. Well, hang on, this is one of the key players. This child is best described as feral. Um, and indeed, uh, that some of the staff would openly say they couldn't stand the boy. Uh, he was, his, his behavior was challenging, let's just put it that way. Uh, and it wasn't just that he was tending to be a bit naughty. Uh, he just didn't have a clue. His uh, upbringing was such that uh, nobody had ever set him any boundaries. Uh, a lot of our good behavior centers around knowing what to do and when to do it, and nobody had ever taught him that. Uh, he was a very troubled child. 
but he's also exceedingly disruptive and uh, unpredictable. At the age of five, he'd already been excluded from, uh, from one school uh, because of his behavior. And the head teacher came up with this idea that they'd make him Joseph in the play. Uh, and as a school governor, he came to me before the, uh, the, the play started, I think probably to cover himself, saying what he had done made this boy Joseph. Uh, and I must have raised my eyebrows. And he said, well, think about it. What does Joseph do? He doesn't do much. You know, if he's going to be an angel, he'd have to sing and not pull the wings off the other angels. Uh, if they made him a, a shepherd, he would have to dance. Quite why shepherds dance, I don't know. Um, if they made him an animal, he'd have to try and behave as a well-behaved animal and not go around making animal noises all the time and, uh, and so on. And what does Joseph do? He comes on, he walks across the stage with Mary and a donkey to guide him, so he knows which way he's going, knocks on a door, and asks if there's a, a room, and then for the rest of the play, he just sits down on a, a chair next to Mary, manger in front of him, and doesn't do anything else. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it started well. He came on stage and he walked across the stage, Mary and the donkey, knocked on the door, go room. And then, miraculously, uh, the scene changed and there were two chairs for him and Mary to sit side by side. Manger in front of them, a doll, baby Jesus in the manger, and he just had to sit there and do nothing. Job done. Head teacher breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> he then got bored. Not the head teacher, but Joseph. Um, head teacher might as well. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he did what he did when he got bored. Started to fidget, looking around, picking his nose, scratching, and swinging his feet. And the more he got bored, the more he swung his feet. Until his boredom reached the point and the swinging of the feet reached the point as well uh, of a, a critical point where as the shepherds and the wise men knelt in front of the manger baby Jesus in it Joseph's foot makes contact with the manger and baby Jesus flies through the air over the heads of shepherds and wise men ends up in the second row of the audience it's a memorable play but for another reason as well, which I'll come to later. But <laughs> the reason it happened was that the head teacher thought, Joseph doesn't do very much. And I think that actually tends to be the attitude that so many people have about Joseph. You know, I mean, we talk about him sometimes at Christmas, if we happen to read this passage from Matthew particularly. But otherwise, what do we think about him? What, we don't really ponder him at all. He's not a key player in, in, in many respects, is he? not a great teacher, he's not a prophet, he's not a priest or anything like that. He's just a man. And as we meet him in this passage that we've been looking at, uh, he is a man who's got a problem. Now, we read here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, that uh, Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary. The word that you use there and in some of the uh, translations you've got in front of you may well say he was betrothed. And we tend to picture that as being a bit like our system of engagement. You know, it's, you're going to get married, but you're not getting married yet. 
Uh, it meant a bit more in Jesus' day. To be betrothed to someone was to enter into a very legally binding agreement. It was generally negotiated between two families. Uh, it may even have be, uh, been part of an arranged marriage. But you know, once the couple were betrothed, that was it, that was definite. In order to separate them, you'd have to have some form of divorce, or one of them would have to die. But it was as good as married, but they weren't actually coming together yet. That would be the practice. You'd, you'd, the betrothal would be decided uh, and agreed, and then a bit later, there would be a great feast, and the couple would come together, uh, and, then, and they would move in with each other, and they would have uh, sexual relationships, and so on. That, that was the, the pattern that was set. But once the betrothal had been established, it generally was not easily broken. Now, Joseph's problem was that he discovered that Mary was with child, that she was pregnant. And you can imagine what he must have been thinking at that point. He knew the child was not his. They hadn't come together yet. And so he imagined going through his mind, what? She's pregnant? Who? Who's the father? And then very quickly after that, he must be thinking, well, what do I do now? What, where, where do I fit into this? She's expecting a child that's not my child. And th this was a, a, a big issue. You know, it, it's pretty much commonplace today, sad to say. But in those days, actually, <laughs> if you were to be faithful to the law, it, it, they weren't, generally speaking, in the days when Jesus was being born, but that the, that the law would require that someone who had an unlawful sexual intercourse should be stoned to death. That's a bit of a big issue, isn't it? And Joseph, we read, we read uh, was someone who was faithful to the law, but he was, uh, another version says that uh, he was a righteous man. He's a man of principle, is basically what it's saying. But he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. As I say, by this time, the death penalty generally was not part of this, but it was still a big, big issue. And... Uh, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he was going to quietly divorce her and end the, uh, the, the, the agreement. And having decided that, he then uh, goes and, and sleeps on it, basically. And as he sleeps, he dreams. Now, I don't know what your dreams are like. Uh, some of you know I have the most entertaining dreams at times and quite, uh, quite great detail and, uh, and very realistic. Uh, it's fascinating. They're not normally disturbing in any way at all. They're just thoroughly enjoyable. One of the side effects of having long COVID, though, was the brain fog that goes, and then it, it affected my dreams. Uh, and they became more vivid and even more realistic and in some ways even more mundane. But the, the brain fog that goes along, I couldn't necessarily distinguish what was real and what I'd dreamt about, which was worrying when I went to work, because I might have dreamt, dreamt that I'd done a particular job. And when I got to work, I thought I'd done it. And then looking at the data, I see, well, I hadn't. And I, I get really confused, because it was so believable, and I couldn't distinguish between the dream and reality. Uh, some things at times I could distinguish between dreams and reality, like the time then Donald Trump turned up at the surgery wanting to use the loo. Um, this may be giving you all sorts of ideas about my mental processes, and you're probably not too wrong. Um, and we, we didn't let him in because you know, it was locked down, and 
infection control, so we sent him away. <laughs> and I could work out that that wasn't real, because I'm sure if Donald Trump had come to Shrewsbury, we'd have read about it and heard about it on the news. But other things were believable. I, and one or two of you have had me come to you and say, do you actually, I mean, I can tell you now, uh, because I've, I've checked with him, Stephen Morris down the front here doesn't own a Japanese restaurant in Cardiff. Nor, as far as we know, is there a Japanese restaurant in Cardiff that in a cellar that you walk down the steps and there at the bottom is a life-size, full-size waxwork of Stephen standing there dressed in a, as a maitre d', holding a silver tray uh, with a pile of menus on it. And a nice big smile on his face. I did actually check because Steve has his fingers in all sorts of different pies and it's just possible he might have owned a restaurant in Cardiff, but there we go, he doesn't, or he didn't. I don't know if you've changed in the last couple, no, okay. Dreams are disturbing things sometimes, but one thing that is quite clear about Joseph here is that he was clear what was happening. What happened in the dream was an angel of the Lord appeared to him and it's quite clear from Joseph's response that he had no doubt about the reality that this was God sending a, a messenger to him to tell him things because he went on and he obeyed what the angel in his dream told him to do. There was no doubt in his mind that this was a genuine experience of a messenger from God coming to him and speaking to him. And he's giving uh, Joseph a wonderful message and he, he addresses Joseph's worries and his fears and his problems with Mary being pregnant and not his child. He's told not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Uh, that might be read as if to say, well, I'm giving you permission. You know, don't, don't be afraid of it. If you want to do, you know, take her home, then you can do. Don't, you don't need to be afraid about this. Actually, Joseph understood it to be an instruction to do this because we read uh, in at verse 24 um, that he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home. Obviously the questions are still going around in Joseph's mind. Whose is the child? And so the angel tells him, as it, were, as it were, the angel is giving Joseph a wonderful preview of what is going to be happening through this child. And he explains who this child is. Who's, whose child is it? It's God's. She is conceived by the Holy Spirit. She is still a virgin. She hasn't had sex, but she has conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how can that happen? Don't you need a father? We're talking about God here. God speaks words and whole universes come into existence. If he wants to uh, cause uh, a, a virgin lady to become pregnant, he is quite capable of speaking the word and so it is. The message to Joseph at this point is she's innocent in this respect, isn't she? She hasn't sinned. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. You can trust her. Because this child is not yours. It's not anyone else's apart from God's. This is truly <laughs> the Son of God. God the Son. 
the next part, he uh, says is basically treat the child as, as if it's your own. Basically, he's becoming <laughs> the, the adoptive father of this child. So uh, we see that in the instruction that is given to him to name the child. There we go, in verse uh, 21. Uh, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That was the responsibility of the fathers in those days, to choose the name, to name the child. And Joseph isn't being given a, a free choice of names. He's being told what to name the child. And there's a reason for that name. It's the, the name Yeshua in Hebrew, or Joshua, as we transliterated into English. It's the name Jesus in Greek, which is what Matthew uh, wrote his gospel in, which is where we get our name Jesus from. What does the name mean? The Lord is salvation. And the angel tells Joseph to give the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This child that's being born is not just any old child, it's, it's, it's the son of God. And he's coming for a particular purpose, to save his people from their sins. He's coming as a savior, he's coming to bring salvation. Joseph is getting a, a preview a spoiler in that sense, of what Jesus is going to do. But he needs to know because it affects him so deeply. And this is a calling for him to bring this child up, to protect him and guard him and keep him safe and to teach him to walk and how to eat and all the rest of it. This is uh, very special, but the purpose of his coming was to save his people from their sins. Do you notice the little word there? <laughs> Save his people. Uh, you know, when you hear people talking about, uh, when you hear someone, I'm getting my people's muddled up, when you hear someone talking about their people, what do we imagine makes that person? Well, generally, it's a leader, isn't it? You know, I hear pastors sometimes I'm not sure about the theology of this one, but sometimes pastors will talk about their people, the people who have been entrusted to their care. We sometimes talk about politicians caring about their people, or at least wanting to do things for their people, or maybe wanting people to do things for them, or whatever. Politicians, there we go. Um, sometimes it's a king, or a monarch, an emperor, talking about his people. And here we get the indication that Jesus is not just going to be just an isolated child, but he is going to be a ruler. He is going to be a king. This is King Jesus we're talking about who is going to come and save his people. And the angel goes on and talks about, well, Matthew goes on, looking at the... Um, quotation marks here this may not be the angel speaking although in some versions it might be depending where you put the punctuation which Greek doesn't have but anyway the comment there is that it took place to fulfill what was said through the prophets the virgin sh will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us it's incredible to think isn't it tiny baby and yet it is God with us. 
and as we follow the history of Jesus through, we know that yes, he lived and he grew, in, uh, grew up and became a teacher, a prophet, someone going around telling people the message of the kingdom, but more than that, he was the son of God who came to give himself for the sake of his people, to pay the penalty for their sin, to reconcile man to God. And this wonderful God has planned all of this out of love for us. This is God with us. He was raised from the dead. He is still with us. He is still God with us. He's no longer a baby. He's no longer a man walking around on, uh, on earth. But he is as, as much with us now as he was when he was walking around the streets of Jerusalem. In fact, in some ways, he is even more with us now because when he was walking around the streets of Jerusalem, he wasn't in Nazareth. And he but now, he is risen and in his spirit, he is with us here and he is in our hearts and he is in our lives. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And we go on and we just go back to Joseph briefly and we see his uh, reaction uh, to this. He appears to have taken this message from the a uh, angel as his call, and he becomes this protector, this guardian, this guide, this provider for this child. He adopts this child and, and cares for it as, as his very own. And he's further guided by God. This was not an easy calling. It's quite remarkable. You know, we, we go on and we, we'll read in the next chapter, if we were to read on, uh, how wise men, magi, came from the east and they were looking, they, they had perceived through stars and through reading uh, uh, scriptures and so on that the Messiah had been born because that's who Jesus was. He was someone, he, he was God with us. He was the savior of his people. And this is in, in fulfillment of the other prophecies that we could look at in the Old Testament that he was the Messiah, the, the Christ who was to come. The one anointed, not just any old anointed one, but the anointed one that the scriptures had foretold for centuries and now he had come. The king of the Jews, the king of his people. And the wise men went to the, to the then king, King Herod, and said, where, where is the, the king of the Jews? You know, we, we perceived this star and, and so on. Uh, and Herod wasn't particularly best pleased to know that there was another king on the, the scene and so he set about trying to kill him and the, the best way of doing that was to kill every boy of that age in that area um, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph uh, and uh, warned him that Jesus was under threat and so they became refugees and they crossed the border into Egypt and with all that that implies the hardship and deprivation, but to find safety, Joseph protected Mary and Jesus. And then when the threat had dissipated, Herod had died, um, he was told it was safe to go back to the land of Israel. Uh, again, an angel speaking to him in a dream. And then, but there was still a problem that one of the sons of Herod uh, was ruling the area around Jerusalem and, and he was not a good character at all. And so again, Joseph was warned to go up to the north where uh, one of the other sons of Herod, a less uh, 
shall we say, incendiary uh, ruler uh, holds sway. And so they went back to Joseph's home of Nazareth. But you see, this is Joseph's calling to care for and protect this child as he was growing. And in fact, by the time that Joseph reaches maturity in adulthood, uh, we don't, so by the time Jesus reached maturity in adulthood, Joseph no longer appears to be on the scene. It, it's, it's thought that, um, that he, he perhaps had died by then. It's quite possible that Joseph was considerably older than Mary. That's what tradition says. We don't have any evidence of that in the Bible. In fact, we know very little else uh, about Joseph. Matthew tells us in chapter 13, verse 55, that he was a carpenter, and Luke tells us he is from Nazareth. But those things aren't particularly important. What we do know from the evidence that we have in, in Matthew's uh, gospel in chapter 1 and 2 was that he was uh, a faithful servant, and he had this calling, and he fulfilled it. He was a quietly faithful servant. Just a, a side comment at this point, that you know, some Christians are called to serve God in very dramatic and public ways. The vast majority of us are called to serve uh, God in very quiet and unobtrusive, unpublic ways, but nonetheless as important and as valuable as anything else that is done. And that, that is speaking to each and every one of us. How do we live our lives? Are we seeking to serve God in whatever he has called us to do? Whatever his situations he's placed us in? Say, oh, one day I'll serve God if only I go here or go that or something happens. Well, no, just serve God today in your home, in your family, in your place of work, in your schools or colleges, in your communities with the way in which you treat your neighbours. Behave in a way that honours God and serve him faithfully. I'm going to come back now to that nativity play. I said there were two things that it was memorable for. One of the concerns that the school had at the time was that it wasn't just simply enough to have lots of children play out the story of Christmas. But they wanted people to think about not just what happened, but why it happened. And so they came up with the idea of uh, having one of the, <laughs> the boys at the end of the, uh, the, the play had a very loud, clear voice, very clearly spoken, and he announced a verse from the Bible. And you know, he just stood up at the side of the stage and <laughs> there's the audience, all the mums sitting on chairs designed for five-year-olds, you know, this sort of thing, uh, knees up around their chin. And, and the, the men standing at the back, great big semicircle of uh, folk who didn't want to sit on those chairs and probably didn't want to sit with their exes either. Um, and, and, and they were standing there, you know, muscles bulging out of their t-shirts, almost as big as their bellies, and, uh, and tattoos, every ironmongery in their faces. And this boy, Andrew, stood up and he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I was standing at the back with the other men, and I saw the whole audience go, Ooh! And 
guy standing near me turned to his mate and he said, cool, that told us that it's such a clear uh, illustration of why Jesus came. Let's just have a look at that verse for a moment as we come to a close. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son, left his home in glory to come down into this world, to be born as a baby. It's all the humiliation that that requires. Humbling himself, taking the form of a human being. Growing up through childhood, having people having to wash him, learning how to feed himself, learning how to walk. All the rest of it that goes... He ga- uh, God gave his son into this world to come and live amongst sinners, to leave the perfect, glorious, sinless place in heaven, to come into this sick and sorrowing world. He gave his son to come uh, to be ha- mocked and to be scorned. He gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sins, to bear the whole wrath of God upon him, to pour out all the anger of God against the sins of the world on his own son. God gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son to be a sacrifice for us, to give the most precious part of himself to us for our sake, to rescue us from the punishment that is rightly ours. He came and gave himself so that we might live. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believes in him, not just did he exist? Do I believe that he exists? No. Believe, putting our faith and our trust in him. You know, how someone will sometimes describe, how can I put this? Take a, a sports coach. The team's just going out to, to, to play a match. And the, uh, the, the coach says, look, you can do this. I believe in you. Go out there and show them what you can do. It's that sort of belief. The coach isn't standing there, well, I think you exist. Say, I believe in what you can do. And we should be believing in Jesus like that. Not just saying, yes, he exists, but (laughs) trusting and believing in what he has done for us. Knowing that as we believe and trust in him, that we have a new life. God gave his son into this world. So as we believe in him, we would be born again by his spirit. And given that new life, new life now, but also a life that will last forever and as that word speaks to us we should consider ourselves told like the guy standing near me at the oh that told us well yeah we've been told this morning and can I just say to you that if you <laughs> are coming here and you know you know the stories you know everything that, uh, that that we often talk about here can I ask you do you believe do you trust him And if not, why not? It's the greatest thing that has ever happened in the entire history of the world. And God did it for you so that you can be reconciled to him, so that you can know him, so that you can know Jesus, Emmanuel, God 
with us. In a moment, we're going to sing uh, a very well-known Christmas carol. And so many of these songs, I've, I, I, I wish I'd printed out one or two of the earlier songs as well because of the lyrics in them pick up so much of what I've said this morning. And I hadn't actually looked at the songs before I prepared the sermon. But, you know, I'm going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Um, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And the last verse we're going to sing. I'm trusting these words I'm reading out are going to be the same ones that, that, that we sing. They, they may not do. There's a number of different versions. Uh, but read the ones we sing as well. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life let's pray and then I'll hand back to, to Nathan Lord we thank you that the message that Joseph received from the angel all those hundreds of years ago is as much to us as it was to him Lord we don't have the same worries and concerns that, that Joseph had but we do have the same needs, a need of a saviour that Jesus came to be, the need to know you and to love you as you love us and gave your son for us. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy, for your great love and for that, that, that obvious indication, promise that you want the best for us. So Lord, be with us now. Help us all to trust and believe. Amen.